we are uh, doing something way different today. It's really good to be gathered with you and uh, be together this morning. And uh, this is unusual in that uh, we will not be in our uh, study of a book-by-book section uh, study, but still the same. Uh, Our message this morning will be driven from uh, the Word of God. Um, But we're going to deviate from our normal time where we uh, uh, begin in a book and go chapter by chapter and all the way through. Um, But we are going to begin this morning with the infallible inspired Word of God from Romans 13, 1 through 7. We're going to take a look at the purpose for human government, the good Christian response to human government, um, the unique privilege that we have as as the American church, Um, and the responsible Christian's duty as a citizen of heaven while we occupy our time here until the realization of the song that we just sang, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to take his uh, bride. Um, In the meantime, though, we need to occupy well, and we need to participate um, in the world and in the government. And so... uh, Let us read from the text of Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the Word of God. Heavenly Father, You are right and good and true and holy. We praise Your sovereign rule over this world. By grace, You have made us citizens of heaven. We ask this morning for grace to hear Your Word and that we would redeem our time well until Christ returns for His church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, a couple of questions for us to think about this morning. Is the elected government to reflect our values? Do we elect people to reflect our Christian values? Or is what happens is that we as a people reflect the values of our government officials? That we become a reflection of them? Or are they to be a reflection of us? Well, as I've uh, looked around and hear and listened to uh, things that folks uh, post up on social media and, and the like and looking around at what's going on, there seems to be a three-party system uh, among Christians. There's the Democrat, there's the Republican, and then there's the most popular party in our world and in our churches. And this third party is the apathy party. You see, 41% of people 
who identify as born-again Christians did not vote in the 2016 election. 41% of people who would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord did not participate in the last election. So we, I think, as Christians have far too long, either by apathy or by ignorance, we've sidelined ourselves from engaging in human government. We have disengaged. And it's because I think we sometimes characterize our faith and politics as um, polar opposite things that should never be blended together. That we somehow told ourselves that we should never be, we should just be uh, those who trust in the sovereign uh, rule of God and, and just sit back and just let them do whatever it is that they do and, and never the twain shall meet. We have our Christian life and then we have our public life and the, and the two don't match. There's no uh, marriage there. Well, see, the Bible does not characterize faith and politics as enemies of each other, but actually the Bible indicates that faith and politics are actually partners. You see, in the beginning, God called Adam. And what did he tell Adam to do? He told Adam to subdue the earth and to rule over it. Human government. God's sovereign rule, but human government. Adam, you are to subdue the earth and rule over it. You have a responsibility to do so. In Genesis 9... Noah and his family were called to govern in a way that protects human life. That was their call. That was the call from the beginning. Protect human life. The blood of a human being will be on you. It is your responsibility. I will exact blood from blood, he says, right? That you will be accountable to that. So they are called to govern in a way that protects human life. Every earthly government points the way for us to the never-ending eternal government of Jesus Christ, that He is King and will rule and reign forever, and that His government will always continue to expand forever and ever. The government of Christ is growing and will continue to grow for eternity in His rule and in His reign. The thing that we need to understand about earthly governments is that they are not ultimate. They are not ultimate, but that they are instruments that God uses in the world. God uses human government as an instrument for His sovereign rule. So when we looked at Romans chapter 13, I will say, by the way, that this will be a briefer message, and I almost said I shouldn't say that, because as soon as a pastor says that this message this morning will be briefer than normal, it, it won't turn out that way. But I'm going to say it anyway. I think it will be brief. Because what I want to encourage you guys all to do, and me as well, is to research, pay attention, look at who the candidates are that are running for government offices in this coming election because it is super, super important that our government start to reflect the values of Christians. And the only way we can do that is we need to know we need to be informed. We need to be intelligent about who these people are, what they believe, and what they stand for, right? And do they line up? And are they going to be a reflection of us? That's who we vote for. Are they a reflection of us? Or are we just merely now a reflection of them? Fighting, bickering, never finding common ground, uh, believing uh, the lie that justice 
is somewhere out in the social sphere, right? That that's where justice is served. Well, we need to pay attention to that, that these governments are not ultimate, but they are instruments that God is using in the world, and we have a responsibility. So here in Romans 13, it is followed, it follows the previous chapter, chapter 12. Does that make sense? Sure, it does. But what was Paul doing in chapter 12, except he was describing what the Christian ethic is. He was describing a Christian ethic. And then he said, submit yourselves to the ruling authorities and government because they've been placed there. Well, what is the Christian ethic? I think the Christian ethic ought to inform how it is that we look at those who are uh, running for offices. Romans 12. Here's, here's the layout of the Christian ethic, and I'll try to do it briefly. Let love be genuine. Abhor evil. Cling to what is good. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ deeply. Put the honor of others in first place. Be diligent to remain zealous. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not pay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. As far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Do not avenge yourself. Vengeance belongs to God. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. If he is hungry, feed him. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is, that is the Christian ethic. That is, that is the true marks of a Christian. So we need to be armed with this Christian worldview. We need to be armed with this biblical ethic. And as we are, we are called to engage uh, in the world for the good of all people. We're to engage in the world for the good of all people. Would you not say that the Christian ethic that I just read is good for all people? For people who are in Christ and people who are not? That if, if we could live according to this uh, Christian ethic, that the world would be a much better place? Right? This is what should inform us as we think about the people that are running for our offices. We want them to be a reflection of this moral ethic, this Christian world view. See, we don't live a Christian worldview in relationship to the local church only, do we? We live our worldview out societally, and we live it out for the good of all people. God has established human governments for His purposes. So what is the primary role of government? The primary role of government is to protect its citizens from harm. Our motivation for our submission to them and our participation in government, is to honor the Lord and to love our neighbor. Pretty simple stuff, right? Honor the Lord and love our neighbor. That is the reason why we submit to human governments. We honor God by submitting to the govern, governing authorities that He has established. Now here's where we are in, in this unique place in America. We live in a place where we have a participatory representative democracy. It is dishonoring to God to be apathetic. It is dishonoring to God to be neglectful. It is dishonoring 
to God for Christians to be ignorant and not participate. It is detrimental to people and it is a poor gospel witness. Think about this. The representative democracy that we live in, uh, as I was studying this week, I, I was reminded of, I'm going to turn there. I wasn't planning on it, but I'm going to now. See, I told you that. I started out with one thing and it gets longer. That's the way it worked. But I was struck by this, that the way the representative government works in America is modeled much after the government of the church. Much like the church ought to be governed. When you look at Matthew uh, 16, let's look at, uh, at 15 through 20 together. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, 19 transitions. When he says you, he's not talking singular. Okay? The, the you here in the original language is plural. And it means everyone who makes this same confession that Peter does. Okay? So, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This you means all who confess Jesus possess what? They possess the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And the church's job, uh, the pastor's job, the elder's job, is to equip the saints to exercise the keys, to do their job. Their job is to exercise your job, and my job, all of our job, is to exercise the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That is, that we are governed by leaders, but we rule. Right? And the same thing in the United States, how the government works, right? Should be ruled by the people. Remember, it is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's what's at stake in this election. It's what's at stake. A government by the people, for the people, and of the people. That is what is at stake right now, more than ever. Right now, we see two classes, right? We see a ruling class that wants to tell us... Uh, and to circumvent our gospel witness, to undermine the things of God, to undermine our Christian ethic and tell us that they have the answer to our ethic. The government doesn't have our answer to the ethic. We, as a church, have the answer to the government's ethic. We need to tell them what the ethic is. And we tell them that by casting a vote. We tell them that by casting a vote. That's what we do. Well, why vote? Well, number one, to honor God. Number two, to demonstrate loving kindness to all people. Number three, to further the witness of the gospel. Number four, to bring about God's justice. To bring about God's justice. This is the problem in our uh, nation, is that justice is being carried out on the streets not by laws that rule and govern all people as a whole, but on the streets. Justice, quote-unquote, is being carried out 
But it's not God's justice. It is a people's justice. But we participate in this so that God's justice will prevail. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Um, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And this is chapter 13 of Romans. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I saw this thing this morning at a church nearby us, and you'll probably see it if you head uh, south. You'll see it on the sign that said says something to this effect. I tried to remember this. I didn't have a pen or I would have written it down for you. But it was apropos to my point this morning. Because it says something to the effect that exercising force does not demonstrate the justice of God. False. That's a lie. It's untrue. That is why God placed governments in the first place. Human governments exercise force sometimes to accomplish the will of God. And it says so right here in this text, does it not? It says so right here in this text that they do not bear the sword in vain. Governments rule. But we need to elect those, exercise the keys, right? We need to exercise the keys so that we elect those who uh, use that sword and use it well, right? That use it according to the Christian ethic that we believe in, if we actually believe in that. We do not only participate in government for the good of others, but we do so with the expectation that the government will allow everyone to experience the goodness of God. That's what we want. We want the government to act in such a way that all people will will get to experience the goodness of God. God's government in the world is God's servant for good. Christians are to care about justice, right? But what, what kind of justice are we to care about? We are to care about God's justice. Not the latest trend in social justice, but what truly is good that God has established. And how does God establish it? God has established His goodness in the Scripture through the law. We have become, as Christians sometimes, so antinomian, which is opposed to, outside of, law. We think that somehow, because Jesus Christ died for our sins, that the laws of God do not apply to us anymore. It is untrue. Jesus fulfilled the law that we might live according to it, right? We are still people underneath God's law. God's law has not been diminished once, not at all, not any jot, not any tittle, not any line in between the scriptures that you see, white spaces. Those are there intentionally, and they are for us, and they are for our good. He established laws. He established a system that litigates laws, and these laws are litigated uh, sometimes even through the punishment of evildoers. So when I read that sign, I'm like, God's law does exact force sometimes to punish evildoers. Could you imagine that we lived in a world without punishment for evildoers? Yes, you can. All you got to do is watch the news and look at downtown Portland, and you'll see 
that yes, indeed, we live in a world where laws don't apply to every people equally. Right? Where even these rules over social distancing and the rules over COVID precautions, while initially, of course, when that first came out, I was on board with this whole idea that yes, we need to, to be careful for everyone's good. That is, that is the point. And if government was exercising their role, they're doing the right job, is to protect human life. That's their aim. But when the aim no longer became that, when the aim became about putting across some other agenda, some other social justice agenda, and then we turn on the TV and we watch lawlessness just going rampant in the streets, and we have laws in place written on the books to protect us against that sort of thing, and the government is failing to do their job there. So now I'm not telling you how to vote. I promised I wouldn't do that, and I'm not telling you how to do that. But I'm telling you some things to consider when you go to the ballot. I I want you to consider that we have a system that litigates laws, and we have a system of laws to punish evildoers because that is what is consistent with what the Scriptures say. We want justice for everyone. And we want justice because every person on the planet was created in the image of God. And as such, every person has inherent value in the eyes of God. Everyone is is to be offered the hope of Jesus Christ through His atoning death for sin. Everyone is to be afforded that opportunity. And if we elect people who afford us that opportunity, people who... uh, stand for law and justice, it is for the good of all people that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is for their freedom and for their sake, and they don't even know it. But it is the most loving thing that we can do is to vote for folks who are about law and order because it is for their good and it is for our good. Everyone is to be offered the hope of eternal life, the opportunity to turn to Christ, Since we care about people, then we care about our government and how it lives up to its responsibility to protect life and to carry out justice. We should care about those things. If we really care about people, we will care about those things. You know why? Because I said this a few weeks ago, that the man or the woman of God cares about the things that God cares about. Remember that? That Nehemiah was a man who cared about the justice of God and he cared about the holiness of God. And he communicated that to his people, right? Because he cared about the things that God cares about. God cares about justice. It is, it is perhaps maybe one of the number one things that you can read in the Old Testament, New Testament, uh, but especially the Old Testament, God cares about justice. God cares about justice above even uh, sometimes uh, the the worship of Him. He cares about justice, right? You bring me sacrifices of praise, but you do injustice in the streets, God would say. Amos 5, 23 and 24 says, Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God cares about justice, and the people of God ought to care about justice, law, and order. Just laws help preserve life, giving citizens an opportunity to respond to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And see, that is my priority as I think about voting. 
is the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world who needs him. That ought to be our aim when we think about the candidates that we mark down. Will this further the gospel? Will this help uh, give freedom to proclaim the truths that this world so desperately needs? Will this, will this candidate support law and order and justice for all? See, if just laws help preserve life, perhaps it prolongs the days just long enough for a person that on the day that they hear the call, the day that God has appointed to them, just laws, they might hear that call because of justice, because we have enacted just laws, that they've lived long enough to hear the gospel. Whatever day that is that God has appointed for them to save, we don't know that, but God has appointed a day. For every one of us, He appointed a day, right? Could you imagine if the mouths of Christians were silenced before you came to salvation? How are they going to hear unless someone preaches? It's not a flood, I promise. It's not a flood. <laughs> Just Laws also announced this, that God created people with worth and dignity. A just law announces that God's people were, were created with dignity and worth. Just laws and good government are for our peace. If you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, there's one other thing I would like to uh, share with you about this uh, reason or um, why it is that we want to participate uh, in government, and it is for the life that we long to live as Christians. What should be the aim of our life that we live as Christians? And how is it that the government, uh, a government enacted by laws, a government that is about law and order and justice, how is it that that government uh, helps us to live the life that we are called to in the scriptures. I'm going to try to show us that. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 6. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead, listen, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, God wants us to live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The goal of our prayers should be the goal of our voting, I think. The goal of our prayers and the goal of our voting in the individual life of a Christian. We are to pray and we are to vote for men and women that will lead our nation in such a way as that we can live a peaceful, quiet life, a godly and dignified life. That we might live a life according to the gospel. That we might live a life free from the hindrances to our faith, and to our worship, 
The good, peaceful, quiet, and dignified life is what we desire for all people to come to. And that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So you might be saying or thinking this, such ungodly men and women run for office these days. Who can I vote for? Because if we take the Christian moral ethic to its ultimate and say, I will not vote for a candidate who does not line up with all of these things, you guys, well, then we have to stay home, right? That, there, there is really no point in voting. But I could also say that of us here sitting in this room, that if we lined up everything in the Christian uh, moral ethic that, that Paul lays out in Romans chapter 12, um, would we say we are undone? I would, I would hope that you guys all say amen. Yes, we are undone, and God is working uh, that out in us practically. But it being our guideline, you might say, well, how is it that I can vote at all? Well, we live in this time of real upheaval, and um, the opportunity to live in a participatory democracy as we have is fading. That is what is on the line. The opportunity to live in such a way as we can participate in government. The, the time where government of the people, for the people, and by the people is starting to fade. It, it's long been coming. <laughs> it started a long, long time ago. Uh, this didn't just happen last week, last month, last year. didn't happen under this president. didn't happen just underneath Obama. It happened a long, long time ago. But it... it and the reason why it's gotten this far, why do you think? I think that it's gotten this far because we, and I mean collectively as Christians, have sat on our hands and been apathetic. And we have marginalized ourselves. We have said, well, Christians have no business in government. Yes, you do. You have much business in government. We need to vote for candidates that will stand up for law and order. Law and order are God's established way of providing justice for all people. We need candidates that will support the right of all people to freely practice their faith. And that means not just the Christian faith, but once we say that you can't practice any faith whatsoever, right, then the slippery slope is there, right? So we need candidates who will uh, vote to support the right of people to freely practice their faith. We need candidates who understand that their authority is limited and temporal. It's limited. It's a, it's a limited authority. And that it is only here on earth and in their sphere of influence that the government can rule and reign. And we need candidates who know that human dignity is granted by God and not by men. God is the one who calls dignity and worth to all people. So I see that there is but two major issues upon which the Christian man and woman, the church member, must insist on in their candidate. Because there's a straight line from the principles of the Scripture to this, these two things. There's a straight line. There are other lines where we can disagree about how the government exercises certain things like care for the poor and that kind of thing. We, we might vote for candidates that support high taxes for that reason because we say that's the way the government's going to do it. We might be those who, who agree with that. But 
There are a couple of things that are straight lines. Those are jagged lines. These are the straight line judgment from God's word, and it should go right to the voting booth. These two things are mandated by God. They're mandated by the word of God, and there is no wiggle room in them. And that is, number one, justice for the unborn. Justice for the unborn is a straight line from the principle of Scripture to the voting booth. Justice for the unborn should be what we investigate, what we should find out about our candidates. We have the opportunity in this election to do great justice for the unborn, don't we? You've seen the news and you've seen uh, those that are uh, candidates for the Supreme Court and those kinds of things, right? Uh, those who are being vetted for that. We need to vote for candidates that will support her because she is one who uh, cares about the justice for the unborn. A straight-line judgment that God is the giver and taker of life. God alone. Back to Noah chapter 9. It, or, uh, um, Genesis chapter 9, when Noah is there and he says, blood for blood, right? You're accountable for that. You do justice. If you, if you exact blood from another human being, I will exact it from you, man for man. This is uh, a, a number one straight line from the Bible to the voting booth that we vote for those who care for life. Secondly, and this is from Genesis as well, God created them male and female. Male and female, He created them. There's kind of no uh, little uh, letters that follow that, right? There's no big long uh, uh, acronym that follows that. God created them male, and He created them female. Period. And therefore... We must vote for candidates that refuse to litigate deviant sexual behavior as normal. That litigate deviant sexual behavior and say that their marriage is equal to yours, John and Linda. It is not equal to yours. Your marriage is God's way. Male and female, He created them. Right? That is a straight line judgment. From the Bible to the voting booth. We must vote for candidates who refuse that. Because you know why? It's detrimental to um, the very people that, that they are legislating this towards. And they don't know it. But it's harmful to them. It is even for their sake. It is for the sake of gay men and gay women. That our government say... No, we're not going to legislate deviant sexual behavior. Marriage is marriage. It's between male and female. That's for their good, and they don't know it. But it is also detrimental to our families, isn't it? It's, I, I'm sure that any of you who have, uh, well, currently I have teenagers, but anybody who has teenagers and young people who are being told uh, by the world and society that, that um, there's all kinds of other acronyms for who you are as a human being, it's detrimental to our families. It undoes our teaching to them. It does undoes our, uh, our it undoes our whole family fabric, doesn't it? 
Well, as a Christian, I'm counting on all of you to awake from our apathy. I'm asking all of us to not be content with the status quo. I'm asking and counting on you to vote to uphold the justice of God. I'm counting on you to vote your Bible. I'm counting on you to vote for God's justice. I'm counting on you to vote in a way that promotes my family. I, I'm selfishly saying I'm, I'm counting on you to vote in a way that supports my family's ability to lead a peaceful and quiet life. I'm calling on you to, to vote in such a way that I can, I can live freely to live a godly and dignified life. That I can live a life according to the gospel. I'm counting on you to vote in a way that preserves life and all life. Life for those who don't yet know Christ, grown people, and life for people who can't defend themselves in the womb. I'm counting on you to vote for a way that preserves life so that we would live long enough in this world to see many people respond to the good news of Jesus Christ's atoning death for sin. That's the aim in voting, guys. That's the aim in participating, isn't it? Is that we would see many, many people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not. I'm telling you who to vote. And I'm telling you to have a criteria to vote with. And that is a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. Now, that might tell you who to vote for. That might tell you who, but I'm not telling you who. Right? I'm telling you to not be lazy about this uh, election that comes up. Not, don't be lazy about it. Um, don't just say that maybe this candidate has an R next to their name, so therefore I'm going to vote for them. Don't. Find out who they are. Find out where they stand on these issues. Find out where they stand on right to life. Find out where they stand on God's justice. Find out where they stand about law and order. Find out where they stand about those things. And then mark your ballot, right? So I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I'm telling you to vote, and I'm hoping that the Bible will tell you who to vote for. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let us pray, and we will... Uh, sing the doxology to close out this morning. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you uh, that we have the freedom in this country right now to participate in our government. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, repent of those uh, times and ways in which we've been lackadaisical about that, that you would help us to uh, peruse our Bible, that we would understand uh, what it is that, that we need to uh, stand firm on as we uh, call our politicians to account to us, we the people. Lord, we just praise you for the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that we have and pray that uh, you would allow us the freedom uh, in this country to continue, that we can freely proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we personally can live peaceful quiet, dignified, godly lives in every way. May the government do that as we uh, put those people in place. In Jesus' name, amen.